and I'd like to introduce our speaker, Gail. Hello, I'm Gail. I'm a compulsive overeater and a hundred pounder. Hi, Gail. Hello, I'll pass my pictures. I'm going to stick with the format of um, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I'm nervous because my husband's there. Hi, honey. He hasn't been to come many, many meetings, so this, this makes me nervous. But. Okay. Hello. Okay, so to qualify, I came into Overeaters Anonymous um, February 20th, 1989. I'll have 18 years of abstinence um, on February 21st, 1989. Not this year. I'll have 18 years. And I'm down maybe 125 pounds, 120, 120, 125 menopause, you know, or sometimes 120, you know, whatever. I usually, I try to keep my weight around 140 or less. I'm five foot six. So I like to stay in a size six jeans. And this is a miracle when you see my pictures. I come from um, size 27 dress. And I come from where I was 240 by the time I was in high school. So I was heavy my whole life. And I came into OA, I'll just say what, what it was like. I came into Overage Anonymous at age 37. I'll be 55 in three weeks. So, um, so I came in at 37 and is probably the best thing I've ever done in my life except marry my husband. Mm-hmm. The best thing I'm telling you. Oh my God. Anyway, so what it was like before, as everybody knows, I could not stop eating. I could not stop eating. From the time I remember, from the time I was around three or four years old, I remember having so much anxiety and being so afraid all the time that um, I just looked forward to any time I could um, squelch my nerves with food. I knew I was doing it even then. When, when my father wanted to take us out for ice cream or even my even the housekeeper making soup, anything that would my mother wasn't around too much in the beginning, very much she wasn't that great. But um, so I remember the, the babysitter, the housekeeper making soup, anything to numb my feelings. So that happened to me really early in life. So um, by the time I was probably eight years old, I was. I saw a picture of myself in my brownie uniform, you know, this little cute little brownie uniforms. I was double the size of the rest of the girls, double. I was gigantic, the same height, but gigantic. I have a picture of my, of my cousin, who's a year older than myself, and, my, and myself um, when we were eight years old. And I was, we were the same height, and I was double her size also. So I was just, I was big by the time I was eight. And um, by the time I was 12, I started working in my father's cousin's bakery. My father had gotten really ill when I was five. So my mother went back to work. He was ill. And when I was 12, I went to work. So I would take two buses, um, and I would go to work in the bakery. Well, that was where I found my drug of choice, <laughs> which is flour. And I'll talk about my abstinence. I'm only going to go in how it was, you know, for a very short time. But anyway, so I found my drug of choice, flour. And it was just like, it was devastating to have to go to work and be poor and have a sick father and a mother that wasn't available. And it just was hard. And I'm the kind of person where everything, when it goes well, it's difficult. Because I have, you know, that's who I am. So when it wasn't an easy childhood, it was really difficult. And the only thing that got me through was food. I never took drugs, never drank alcohol. So by the time I was in high school, I was 240, and um, I started a career. So I worked during the daytime, and I went to college at night and got my degree at night. And I worked, and I was very successful in my career as I got 
to 265. And I was by 265 by the time I was 20, probably. And I stayed there until I was 37. I never gained more weight. It took so much food to keep me at 265, I guess because of my anxiety level. I don't know. But um, I have no idea why, but that's my top weight. And um, I ate, from the time I woke up, I had to have a spoon in my hand. Till the time I went to sleep, what I would do is I would pass out from overeating. And I would pray to God of my not understanding. I didn't even like have any conscious contact with God at the time, but I would say every night to God, I don't want to do this again. And then I would wake up in the morning with my long spoon. I still have my long spoon, by the way. I don't use, I use it for tea, you know, for, for tea now. I don't use it for anything else. But I used to use it for my half gallon of ice cream. And I would say that every day, every night, and then every day I'd have to, I didn't have a choice. I had to numb myself out. I couldn't stand my anxiety. So, Fast forward, I had a great career, entertainment industry, doing really well. How sad it is that I'm in the back of limos with my clients. I was a business manager. I'm 265 pounds, and I'm with these gorgeous people, you know, that look really good, and they, you know, had the groupies and the this and the that, and I'm, it's horrifying, but at the time, I just ate my way through it. I saw them do their drugs and their orgies and everything else, and I just ate my way through it. And so when I got into OA, which I'm going to do right, I'm going to tell and say, so what happened was, is, you know, Jack Saul, my, and he says I could name him, he's my Eskimo. I was at a Hanukkah party at a girlfriend's house um, in 1988, December, and I had gone to high school with Jack. I did not remember him, but he was 325, and I was 240. We never, I just don't remember him, and he doesn't, I don't know if he remembers me. But we saw each other at the party, and he was drinking coffee, and he was thin. He wasn't, eat, he wasn't eating, and that's like, you know, that's free, free eating. It's a holiday, for God's sake. You know, and he was not eating at all. He was just drinking coffee. So um, I asked him why he wasn't eating. Not, how, not, not why he was thin, not how he got thin, why aren't you eating this food? It's like there, and it's, it's, it's like, you know, all the good stuff. And we could do it in front of people because we don't have to be ashamed. Everybody's eating like that. It's a holiday. So anyway, so he decided I don't eat it between meals. I, and I didn't know what he meant even. What, don't even you know, I didn't know what a meal, I didn't know what a meal looked like. You know, I never ate meals. I ate all the time. So anyway, so um, he explained to me about over his anonymous, and I... It took a couple months, and I called him, and he, it took a month, and I called him and got a meeting list. By that time, I was dating a guy from N.A. My girlfriend was in N.A., and she still is, and she's over 21 years next, next week. And, um, and she fixed me up with this guy, and I started dating him, and he was in N.A., and I, N.A., which is Narcotics Anonymous, and, and, he, and all his friends spoke this 12-step language. I didn't know what they were talking about, and I thought I'd better... Go take a twelve, go to a twelve-step program so I could learn the language, so I could go, so I could, um, you know, be with his friends. I know what they're talking about. So, and I didn't take drugs and I didn't drink. So I thought, okay, I know I'm fat. So I knew I was two sixty-five. So um, that was obvious. So I, um, I went. I, so I called Jack and he sent me the meeting list. And I went to my first meeting, February twentieth, nineteen eighty-nine. It was in Van Nuys on Van Nuys Boulevard. Bard, I think it was, in this dumpiest person's this house. It was like a, it was like a ghetto, and he had like a light hanging down and a table. That was it. It was like cockroaches and the whole thing, and it was a Monday night, as I said, and we sat down around the table, and we were supposed to write. I guess it was a step study, so it was writing meeting. I thought it was on the force of, I don't know what it was, but I wrote and wrote and wrote, and I cried, and I... Um, what I did is I just I just cried my eyes out. I knew I was home. And I 
two women from that meeting took me to my next meeting, which was like a normal meeting on the west side. I was in West Hollywood, and um, where I took a newcomer's trip. It was really fun because I took a newcomer's trip there, and somebody in the audience, in the, you know, there were like 100 people at this Tuesday night meeting at this, this synagogue thing. Um, that's that thing. Um, some kind of like Jewish school. It used to be on Third, on third Street, Third in Orlando or Sweetser. And anyway, so um, there was somebody clapping for me, and he was one on one of my soap operas. I thought, oh my God, somebody's clapping because I'm taking a newcomer's chip, and he's on my soap opera. This is really neat. That made me feel really good. He's, he's by the way, back in program doing really well now. I see him all the time. So, but, you know, somebody that I met 18 years ago. So anyway, so I, um, that night somebody asked what I was supposed to do, what, what it was like, what happened. So you know what happened now. Okay, so here it is. Here's my program now. Okay. That's fine. Okay, good. Time for program. So what happened was I got a sponsor the first that, that night, the Tuesday night, February 21st. I did not know what it meant, and I'm, Ron, I'm going to explain what it means so, so everybody understands. But anyway, what it means to find a sponsor. So they said find somebody who has what you want. I had no idea what that meant. Cause I, how would I know at 265 eating my brains out what I wanted? I already had the Mercedes and I already had the condo, so I had I had the job. What possibly could I want? Because I never thought I would get thin, ever. Never. It never occurred to me that I could be a thin person, ever. That was, like, not in the cards for me. So somebody came up to me and asked if I could, um, one second, let me get some water. Um, somebody came up to me and asked if she could sponsor me. So I said yes, and I found out what kind of car she drove and what kind of condo she had, what kind, where she lived. <laughs> She had the right condo and the right car and the right neighborhood, just right right, right near where I lived. Um, so, no, no, it wasn't, was where I used to live. She lived in West Hollywood. Anyway, so she started sponsoring me, and she started me on the first step, and she, we worked the first three steps together, and she was real mean, really mean, really depressed person, really nasty. But um, she, had, she told me what to eat, and I ate it, and then I thought, this is really strange. She's having me eat only, I was only allowed to eat oatmeal for breakfast. So at 2.65, the bowl of oatmeal was as big as a, a salad bowl for, for, for 20 people. It literally was, you guys can't see it on the tape, but it's like just gigantic. And, but I did that, and I, you know, and I thought, this is stupid. I don't want somebody being so mean to me. And this is like I had no boundaries at that point. I didn't know, how to, I didn't know it wasn't okay for people not to be mean to me. But I, um, I asked somebody else in program, and she said, no, they're not supposed to be mean to you. You know, you're supposed to just work a program. So I got somebody else to sponsor me, and now I'll talk about a really good, this is like really incredible program stuff. So I worked the first three steps, and the first step, I'm just going to say it out what they are so I can now tell you how I work them, is the first step is we are powerless over food and our life has become unmanageable. So I didn't know I was powerless over food because 18 years ago people were powerless over sugar. And for me, sugar wasn't my problem. I don't sit there and eat pounds of sugar, but that wasn't the problem. It was flour. That numbs me out. That I've never taken cocaine, but I understand that the teeth get all numb from cocaine. And who's nodding? <laughs> I see. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> you nodding. <laughs> anyway, but the teeth get numb and all that stuff, and the heart pounds. That's what flour does for me. It numbs me out completely, and my heart pounds. My teeth are totally numb. Anyway, so and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, but I'm so I'm powerless over food, and my life has become unmanageable. My life was unmanageable to the point where I couldn't do relationships at all. I had a job, but and I made a lot of money, but I didn't. I wasn't happy, and I wasn't um, fulfilled, and I had 
no connection with people at all. My calendars look like, what it looked like on a Friday night was a time and a restaurant. It was never had the person I went with to the restaurant because I didn't care who I was with as long as I got to eat. So I never really had a relationship. I had friends, but never connected to them. Never, ever, until program. So, so I work step one, and then step two, and I'll talk about step two, what happened. Step two is where you came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And... I thought I was insane. By the time I hit step, step one was really hard for me. It felt, it, I take it every day, but the first time I took it, before when I first heard step one, it was very difficult. I felt like I was in a tunnel and there was no, there was no light. It was horrible. You don't tell a 265-pound person who is very career successful that you're powerless. How's that possible? That's not possible. I was very powerful, I thought. And I felt like with the fat around me that I could, that nothing could penetrate me, nothing could hurt me. And then you're telling me I'm powerless? I knew my girth would protect me. That's what I had it there for. And now you're telling me I'm powerless. So it was very difficult for me to understand that. Also, I didn't understand, I found out this, this time I didn't understand, I, want, I hated myself so much that I wanted to be invisible, yet I made myself bigger than everybody in the room by double. I don't understand that. And if anybody could explain that to me, I'd love to know why I did that. Because I don't know why still. I have no idea. Well, how could I become double when I wanted to be invisible? Don't think, I don't understand that. Anyway, so I was told by my sponsor that, um, as my first sponsor, the mean one, I was, I was told that um, I, I thought I could never go back because I was never sane. And she said I was born sane, and if I have to go back that far, God will restore me to that. Whatever it has to be, has to be, but I will become sane again. So, um, and then the third step, and this is a neat thing. Okay, the third step happened when, in June of 89. I had been in a program like three or two or three, three or four months, I guess, at that time. And my, a friend of mine died at, of AIDS. And he was a really... He was a producer of, of movies, and he was really a with it kind of person, very organized, controlled, everything going for him. And he died of AIDS in his brain. It was really hard to watch him die of that because it really hurts when it's in your brain. It really hurts a lot. And he would giggle because he said, I couldn't have had it in my body where I could have lost some weight. I had to have it in my brain where it didn't affect my weight at all. Because he, he was a little zoptic, not, not terribly, but a little bit. Anyway, so um, he died. Like, um, I don't know when it was exactly. I think it was just the beginning of June. I know it was June sometime. And um, during his, he, he was such a, he was a, he was a direct a producer. So he produced his funeral. He would write exactly, he wrote exactly how he wanted it to be, who he wanted to take what. It was, everything was orchestrated perfectly. And I had a part in it. You know, whatever my part was, I don't remember it now. But, um, and I, Drive, he wanted it to be at his friend's loft downtown, and I lived in the valley. So what I did is I drove with other people in my Mercedes. I told you I had a Mercedes, but with the, with the sunroof open. And as somebody else was driving my car, and I was in the front seat, and I was on step three, came to, uh, excuse me, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. And what, I, what happened was is I was saying step three in my head, I just was starting to work on it, and I felt a light, and I knew that I wasn't going to overeat over his death, and I was going to get through his funeral and be of service. Now, that wasn't me at 265. I wasn't 265. I was losing weight by that time. But that wasn't me. That had to be God talking to me. It couldn't have been me, you know, because I didn't know that kind of stuff. How could I ever, I didn't ever 
never knew that. So anyway, so just a light shine on me. I just knew I'd be okay, and I knew I'd be abstinent. And so that was my first part. My first experience was step three. And then, so I changed sponsors just during that same exact time, and I found a beautiful, wonderful woman to work with. And we worked the rest of the steps together. And I'm just going to talk about the steps. It's a 12-step program. Where are they? Because I'll, I'll probably panic and not. Um, in front of my face. Okay. <laughs> I can say it. Okay. Anyway, so I'm just going to talk about the steps. That's, this is what the program is for me, is the steps. The steps, the tools, are, and that's it. So anyway, so um, I started working with my beautiful sponsor of the time, you know, and we're still friends and all that. We just we don't sit and sponsor me any longer. And um, I started my fourth step. And I was doing Dear God letters every day because I, I needed to get all, so much stuff out. I still do that. I need to get a lot out. I'm writing all the time. And um, I did Dear God letters and I wrote my fourth step and it was 136 pages. Our fourth step is our inventory of just like, you know, what we do is we write about our resentments, which for me I had a lot. 136 pages of people that I resented. And also, it's not just people, it's places and institu- institutions and places. So I, as a 100-pounder, could not go horseback riding in Burbank because you have to be over under, uh, under, under, under 200 pounds. There's a sign that says if you're over 200 pounds, you can't go horseback riding. I had resentment. I requested a center in Burbank. The, um, Santa Monica Pier, there's a lovely merry-go-round. If you look above it, you cannot go on the, on the horses on the merry-go-round if you're over 200 pounds. You have to ride on the, um, on the seats. I had a resentment because I wanted to go on, this, on the, on the horses. You know, as an adult, I wanted to go on a horsey. But, so there's signs out there saying that I, I, wasn't, I wasn't allowed to go there. I had a lot of resentment against that. I had a resentment against the New York Library because the steps were too hard for me to climb. You know, I did, so I wrote about it. So I wrote every resentment down, 136 pages, and I was pretty thorough, I guess, for the time. That's all I could do is what I could do at the time. And um, April 6, 1990, I read it to my sponsor. And what we did is we read it in my condo in Studio City, and we... um, it was lovely. We, we, we had lunch, and we had a fireplace going, and we made it really nice. And that's what I do for my sponsees now. I just, it's really a cozy thing. It's really nice, very safe. And I read this to all to her. It, was, it took us like eight hours or whatever it took us. And she circled my defects, I guess. She had me circle in red my defects as we went along. And so step five is reading it to another person. Like, I'm not, you know, okay. I can't say that. Yes, I can. Step five is admitted to God to ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrong. So I did my fourth step, which is made a searching and fearless inventory of ourselves. I did that. Read it to my sponsor. She had me circle. Just, I didn't know what I had. What she was having me circle when she had me circle because I didn't know. And then we found all of my defects that I started had to start working, that I and God had to start working on. I'll talk about God too. And there's God there, but okay. Um, number Step six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all our defects of character. So I had to, by the way, I worked out of the AA 12 and 12 and the big book. In 89 and 90, they didn't have OA books. So we, had, we worked out of the AA books, which is really good. It was a really good foundation for me. And, um, so, and now we're lucky we have OA books, too, so we have more to work on, work with, and that's great. So 
So and I worked out of what I did, how I worked out of this stuff is I would go, to, we took the AA 12 and 12 and I wrote on every paragraph. And then I would finish that step and go to the next step. And then I'd read the big book, the corresponding, and, and do it that way. So anyway, so step six, I, told, I said we're admitted, to, we're entirely ready to have God remove our defects of character. So I had all of my defects, a lot of them, circled. And what I found is on page 66 of the AA 12 and 12, all the defects are listed. I was just told to call them Praggles. P-R-A-G-G-L-E-S, Praggles. It talks about it in the, in the AA 12 and 12. Pride, resentment, anger, gluttony, greed, thank you, greed, gluttony, which is the same thing pretty much, lust, envy, and sloth. And that makes it really easy, just like, it's probably going to be one of those things. It could be, you know, it could be anger, you know, whatever it's going to be. It's going to fall probably in this that category, one of those categories. If it doesn't fall in those categories, we could figure out a category. But this is like most of my defects were in there. And then, so this is like a lot of work in between. We're talking months, you know, of writing and doing all that. And then I humbly ask God to remove our. We humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Is step seven. So, what I would do is, we have a seven-step prayer. And what I would do is, I would say the seven-step prayer, and just before, I pray that you now remove all these defects of character from me. That's just at the end of the prayer. I would write, I would say a defect, and then I would um, talk to God. After I did a lot of writing on my defects, and what would be the opposite? I would want to know always what the opposite was. I would look at the dictionary and see what it meant and then go to a thesaurus and look that up and just want to find the opposite so I could aspire to do the opposite of whatever my defect was. So I did that and I would do the writing and I would do my prayers and just before I finished my seventh, I still do this by the way, it's not like I did it and once, I still do it because I still have a lot of defects. They come up constantly. As long as I'm around people, I have defects. So anyway, so... Um, so, and just before I say, with the last sentence, I, um, I, ask, I talk to God about whatever defect is up, and I ask God to remove it and replace it. I try to not tell God what to replace it with, because it's not my business what he replaces it with, but at least I know what, what to aspire to, because I, um, I know what, what the opposite would be, or what I'd like to do. So, and then, wait, then you make a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So, from my fourth step, again, we circled all the people I needed to make amends to, and I wrote a, a letter to each person. I did not read a letter. You know, I, I just had to get prepared, so I just wrote a letter, and I read it to my sponsor, and we prepared, and I made all my amends. My amends were, pro, were a, a lot lengthy. They were long. It was lengthy. It took a while, but I made amends to everybody. You know, and only one person was really mean about it. Everybody else was really nice about it. One person was mean, but that's, you know, it tells in the big book it's not our business, how it's received. We just do it. We do our job. Anyway, so I did that and um, continue to take personal inventory. continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So as I said, I still write Dear God letters. Uh, I'm going to talk about yeah, I have time to talk about my program today and what it really what it looks like right now. But um, so I'll just continue with the steps really fast. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. So, dear God, I just let it rip. Whatever it, whatever it says, and then I could go back with my sponsor and um, circle my defects, talk to her about it, and um, 
ask God to remove whatever defects, see whatever amends I have to make, whatever has to happen. I work the steps that way. And then, 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry it out. So I was told to really pay attention to step 11 and not just do the first part, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. We need to pray for the power and the guidance to carry out God's will. I can't just pray for God's will and do what the hell I want. I have to actually ask God for the knowledge and power to carry that out. And that's what I was told to really be careful of. Because otherwise I could just say, what's God's will? What's God's will? I'm powerless. I'm powerless. And not do anything else, right? I could go to step 11 to step 1, and I could walk around immature the rest of my life, which I don't want to do. You know, I like being an adult. So I don't do that. Instead, I ask God for knowledge and power and to carry it out. And he gives that to me. So I can stay in my adult. Because my kid wants to eat all the time, so I can't stay in that part of me. Okay. And that 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this we, we carry we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So that's I think I'm not going to even talk about that right now. I'm just going to talk, because I'll talk about my program. That's a lot of it's sponsoring. A lot of it's doing service. So that keeps me absent, I think. keeps me connected to God. So I'll talk about my program now. So so we have to fast forward. I should talk about what, what it was like losing the weight, too, because there was a lot of weight to lose. Okay? So what happened with me is I, I stopped eating sugar in the beginning, and I started learning how to eat meals. Like, I didn't know anything about nutrition at all. So I started learning how to do that. And I would watch other people do it. And I would think, God, one day I just want to have a piece of chicken, a potato, and a vegetable on a plate. I just didn't know how to do that. You know, and I had to learn by asking people. And I do a lot of reading on nutrition, a lot. Because I didn't know. And I had to, like, know. That's what knowledge, knowledge of God's will, knowledge I have to know how to do it, and then I can learn how to do it. And if I don't know how to do it, I can learn or ask. So a lot of people have helped me along the way, but I found my own food plan and my own abstinence. So I got down, I guess around in um, my, my first, my first um, eight years in program, I was, I was size 14 or so. And I thought I was done. I was, like, so thrilled. You'll see my pictures of size 27. They were that big. So 14 was, like, a normal. I'd never go to Lane Bryant anymore. Never occurred to me that I could ever get to a 6. I never, like, never, never. That would have been like you could tell me I have blue, get blue eyes. I can't do that. It's just, it was not. It wasn't even a thought of mine. So at size 14, I walked around like I was done losing it. Cause I, I was done. I didn't know. And, um, okay, so what would happen with me is I worked my program and I had sponsors. And what would happen was is I would battle croutons even. Anything with flour in it. But nobody talked about it like eight years ago or so, or ten years ago. So I would battle the flour and I'd battle that so much. And... Um, but I never, and then I was in a meeting one day, and somebody stood up, said they were a 100-pounder. They had lost all their weight. She was thin, and she said that she doesn't eat flour. It's the first time I ever heard that. And I thought, oh, my God, it never occurred to me to stay from anything besides sugar. So I'm, like, fighting the wrong battle, because it wasn't a battle for me to stop eating sugar. Anyway, so 
it was just my time to probably lose the rest of my weight. I don't know. I didn't even know I had to lose. So what I did is I went up to her afterwards and I asked her if I could start emailing my food to her. And I committed I'm not going to have flour again. Well, hello. When you commit something like that to somebody, the withdrawal was, was horrifying for like 10 days. It was like really hard. It was like going off of, of drugs, I would imagine. I'm not sure. Because I I'd always like, I always started off with like maybe I would have like croutons and then it would turn out to a piece of bread, that kind of stuff. My whole time, my first eight years in program. And I always was battling it because I just always felt like crap when I ate it. Something just doesn't go in my body right. But I didn't know what to do about it because I never heard anybody else's experience until her. Until this, her name is Martha. And what happened was, she lets me talk to say her name is fine. Anyway, so I, um, I committed to Martha that I wasn't going to have flour. I was going to abstain. And um, that I was going to email. I asked her if I could email my food to her. I had always written down my food. I have 18 years of journals of writing down my food. I always keep track of my food. But I never emailed it to anybody. Because I never just learned email probably, you know, eight years ago, ten years ago. So anyway, so I, um, she said, of course. And I started emailing my food to her. And so ten days went by that I withdrew from flour. It was very hard. It was just very physically hard. It just felt, it felt like withdrawal. And so I worked the program and I got through it. Ten days or go by very quick, very quick. And I haven't had, I haven't wanted flour in, 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 you know, in eight years or something, eight or ten years, something like that. The cravings went away as soon as I, with, as soon as the ten days were up, the cravings went away and I've never craved it again, ever. Not one time, ever, never. Ever. So the big book talks about that too. It says they, they, um, they suggest entire abstinence in the doctor's opinion. And it says your cravings will go away if you stop eating your, your food, your whatever, your alcohol, your whatever, your, my alcoholic food. And it was promised to me in the big book, so I believed it. And it totally, it's truly, it's really happened. Anyway, so I've been emailing. Okay, so where I want to go back now. Okay, so what I did, so, so I, I stopped eating the flour and I got down to the size 6. So, and I didn't know that was going to happen. I had no idea. So I probably lost around 50 pounds, something like that. So I went from in my 190s to 140s, 130s. And, and perimenopause happened, and menopause happened, and now postmenopause is happening. And guess what else? I get to find a way to deal with that without getting heavy. Because everybody, every doctor I've gone to so far has told me, you have to gain weight. You have to get heavier when you're in menopause, you're post-menopause. And I'm saying, no, I don't. There has to be a way not to. And I'm finding a way not to. By the way, it's healthy. Healthy way not to. Healthy. And, um, okay, so anyway, so here we go. So what my day looks like, I'll do that. Because my day is program always first. So I get up in the morning. And I go to my, my desk, and what I do is I, um, God and I talk. So what happened was is my, 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 my um, relationship with God has grown over the years. Ninety-four, there was an earthquake. I lived in Studio City, and my condo died. It died. You know, it was, it was totaled. And um, so it was the whole, the whole building was totaled. And I was so mad at God. I was so mad because I lost my home. I was all alone. I lost my home. At that point, I wasn't even like, uh, I was estranged from my family, so I didn't even have anybody except friend, my, my old friends, which was good. But I was estranged from my family. It really, felt really lonely. So what I did is I, um, I was mad at God, and I let God know. Because I, I had a relationship with God. At 94, I was already abstinent five years. I had a relationship with God already knowing 
that he was going to be there whether I was mad at him or not. Because I know he's unconditional, right? So I, that's what I created. I, the God of my understanding is my God is totally, totally unconditional. So I could be as mad as I want to be as him because he's going to love me no matter what. So I would tell him all the time how mad I was. I was at the gym one day with a trainer, and she would say, you're so tense, what's wrong? And I'd go, I'm so fucking mad at God. I'm so mad at God, I want to kill him. And she said, why? And I told her why. I said, because my condo was, 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 was totaled. I'm really mad at God. And she said, you know, men built the, um, the condo. It wasn't God. And the men screwed up. It had nothing to do with God. They, were doing, they weren't doing God's will. They were doing their will. And they didn't put the, the nails in right. And it did not hold up. That's, so that really let God off the hook. Because I really, you know, that was totally true. You know, God gave me free will. He gave these whoever built the building free will. And they didn't do a good job, obviously. So, you know, had they done it to code or whatever without, you know, if had I done it God's will, it wouldn't have, like, fallen apart, I think. So that made perfect sense. But I got to know through that period, that was probably a few months period of me being mad at him, that he's there for me anyway. He gave me, what he did is he, um, I was swearing at him and calling him names, and he gave me a lovely apartment in the inter, you know, right after the earthquake. Really nice two-story apartment on Tahunga in Studio City. Hotsy Tots, really nice, paid for by the insurance company. Got all new furniture there. And then two months later, he found me a house where I met my husband, lived across the street, and that's how we met. So I think the earthquake happened so we could meet, right? Right, Yes. You know, so therefore, but I had no idea at the time, all I was was mad at God. I didn't know he was preparing me to get married. He was preparing me to find my, my life mate, and I never had married before. So therefore, he's pre- he was preparing all this. He caused all this trouble just, because, just to get my attention so that I could um, meet my mate. Right? I think that's true. So anyway, so I got to know and I got to build my relationship with God on that, knowing that you know God's going to be there whether I'm mad or not at Him, because He's unconditional, and I could just count on God to do what I can. God does for me what I cannot do for myself, because I cannot get myself at this size. And this is only like this is a benefit of like you know working the program, but it's not the only reason I work it now. It's a really it's it's availed me a really good life. So so I get up in the morning. Um, and I go to my desk, and God and I decide, it has to be with God, what I'm going to eat for the day. And we talk, and I write it down, and I email it to two people. I email it to Martha still. I still email it to Martha. Martha's still thin and still in program, 100-pounder, and I email it to the person I exercise with on Saturdays. Because when I got into postmenopause, I was thinking, I don't want to be fat again. What am I going to do? And I, I, I um, spoke about it at a, a women's meeting. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I went through it. I didn't gain any weight. I could help you. So now I email my food to her, too. So I email it to her. I email it to Martha. And we discussed, you know, we, we talk, I talked to God. You know, and I get on my emails, and I, um, all my sponsees um, email me their food. And what, and their plans for the day, a lot of them, we, we started doing that. I have people, I, have, I, I sponsor a few, quite a few women, and I sponsor 100-pounders, mostly, because that's, that's my people. And um, that's what I, I can't, I don't have any experience with, with only having to lose five pounds. I, I, don't, I have to share my experience. My, I, that's what I do, I share my experience with people. So I sponsor people like me. So what I do is, is um, 
my experience is, is they, they, they send me their, um, their, what they're planning to do for the day and their food for the day, and whatever they want to say on their email. And I read it and I respond. I get up, you know, I'm up, and then I um, have a little bit of breakfast, a very little piece of fruit, and then I go, I'm sort of spinning at my age. I started spinning at a spinning studio. So I go there almost every morning and I work out for an hour and then I go home and have the rest of my breakfast. I split up my breakfast. I was told to do that by a nutritionist, by the way. So I'm doing everything I'm told. And this is like something, this is a miracle because in my disease, going to nutritionist would be like a joke because they would tell me what to do and it was like they weren't talking my language. And now I can actually follow the direction what they're telling me to do and do it. It's a miracle because I could eat the portions they tell me to eat. Because they're like, they're reasonable servings. I could go and buy a package of something and eat a serving. That is a miracle. I don't have to eat the whole thing. That's a miracle, you know. I actually read the label and it tells me how much I'm supposed to eat and I eat it. So I go to a nutritionist and she tells me what to do post-menopause when I'm exercising. And I do it. Miracle. Anyway, so, I pray and meditate in the morning. I pray and meditate all day. Constantly, I have to talk to God. You'll see my eyes closed in the meeting and I'm just saying a prayer. A prayer could be, thank you, God. That could be my whole prayer, too. You know, a lot of times it is. Or thy will, not mine, be done. Then I go about my day. I work with a sponsor. She has 42 years abstinence. So, I listen to every word she says. She doesn't give me advice, though, and she doesn't, she just shares her experience. She never, she's a good friend of mine also. We've been friends for years. She does not ever give me advice. She shares her experience. So she teaches me. Hi, women. She, she teaches me. What I do is we, we have gone through the steps with her. I've gone through the steps many times with many sponsors. Many times. And I will continue the rest of my life going through the steps because I learn something new every day. The four steps have gone down to, you know, three sentences practically because I don't carry resentments that much. I'll tell people, you know, I'll, tell, I'll say something immediately. What I found um, being in recovery is when I, was, when I was in my disease, I never spoke my truth. Number one, I didn't know my truth. And number two, I never spoke it. And I could laugh and say my mouth was too full of food to be able to speak my truth. But the truth is, is I was so scared to be abandoned by anybody that I never spoke my truth. So I would lie the answer rather than somebody disagree with me. You'll never see me do that today, huh? <laughs> never see me do that. Never. I will not, I'll never give myself away again, ever. So I just like, that's something that I'm really clear about. And that's something I learned in program. You know, I just don't lie. I don't need to lie. If somebody wants to abandon me, then they get to do that. That's God. That's good. They get to do what they get to do. But um, I, don't, I don't lie any longer. I just tell the tr- my truth. Anyway, so um, I write a lot. I write to God. We write out of spiritual books, some OA, some not. And I work the steps on different spiritual books also. So it's kind of neat. We did um, AA Comes of Age. And Dr. Typo is the medical opinion in, doc- in AA Comes of Age. And so I reread Dr. Typo's book. I call him Dr. Typo. I think it's Tebow, right? Tebow, but I call him Dr. Typo because, you know. <laughs> anyway, so um, we went through every line in his book. And I, I think it's probably the best recovery I've ever had. It talks about the ego and surrender. And um, it talks about how I, I, I think my ego is my child. 
this child thing that wants what they want and the, the fear and everything else, and I can't let that run me. Cannot. So there's a conscious self, and there's a higher self, which is my God self, and there's my child. And I learned all this from reading his book. This book is so heavy because he's, he's, re- he's writing to psychiatrists about alcoholics. But I got to learn so much about it, I can't even believe I can't even believe it. And what I get to do is like stay in my conscious self and ask my higher self for the answers and not go into my child self. And that's really helped my recovery. Now in the AA twelve and twelve, the last page in step twelve, it says, Now that we are mature AAs, blah 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 blah. This means something to me. It says now that we are mature AAs, it means I can't, again, say, pray for God's will. I am powerless. I can't do that kind of stuff. It tells me when I finish step 12 that I am a mature AA, which means I get to walk as an adult. Thank God. You know, thank God. Thank God is right. So today I get to walk. I get to plan my food. It's squeaky clean every day. I don't ever, we travel, we've been traveling a lot of the world. We just went, got back from Africa and, and Switzerland um, in, in September and August. I got to eat the same food in Africa that I eat in Los Angeles. And it was funny, somebody called me one time and said they broke their absence because they went to a Thai restaurant in Los Angeles. And I had just gotten back from Thailand where... They have chicken and vegetables in Thailand. So I told them that, you know. I said, you know, I didn't lose my absence in Thailand. How could you lose it at Shandara? How could you do, you know, how did you do that? They they didn't know what to say because they didn't know I went there and they didn't know that I would, you know, I had that experience. And so we've been traveling around and they have chicken. There's nowhere in the world that I haven't been able to get chicken and vegetables. And they know everywhere. In, we were in Amsterdam, and I said, I want chicken and vegetables, no starch. Okay. They didn't speak my They knew what I was saying, even without even speaking the language. Would you believe it? So I could be absent anywhere. So I'll talk about my absence. One minute left. Okay, my abstinence. My abstinence is, no, number one, my abstinence at first was no binging for many years. And then I kind of like, it's, 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 um, refi- it's, re- um, it's totally refined since then. I eat like three meals a day. I have in between... Lunch and dinner, I have a fruit. I, don't, I do not believe in eating fruit with my meals. I just don't believe in doing that. And then before, like around 8 o'clock at night after dinner, I might have a yogurt or a fruit. So I eat basically very healthy, clean food. Oatmeal, egg whites, chicken, fish, vegetables, yogurt. Period. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, once in a while, that kind of stuff. I just don't eat sexy foods. I don't eat anything that's going to call to me and set up cravings. I eat, and my abstinence, really, I could just like say that my abstinence is I don't eat anything that will make me fat or crazy. Two things. So, therefore, it's not, it's going to make me fat or crazy. If it's not, I'll, I'll eat it. If it's going to make me fat or crazy, I won't touch it. And that's just like easy. You could take that around the world easily. That's what I do. So anyway, so that's what I do. Um, I work my program. I'm more enthusiastic now than I was ever. Every year it gets better and better. Every year my program gets stronger and stronger. Every year I'm more enthusiastic about OA. And every year life gets better. You know, so it's like, why not work a program? Why not be abstinent? It's, just, it's so much easier than being fat. I'm going to end with that. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs>